0: series, well actually what is the series? Faith and Life, isn't it Colossians? Uh, The specific topic this morning, finding freedom from rules and religion and I sort of know why I was picked to choose this one because I came from a religious background. You may remember uh, just over a month ago when we were still meeting online, we had Taylor Ford, chap on the right hand side there and uh, shared his journey to faith because he actually came from a, a very non-religious background. His parents weren't believers at all, he wasn't raised in it and he told the story of how he came to faith Uh, and part of it was that he was living a pretty wild life, you know, getting drunk, doing wild things, ended up getting drunk one night, falling into a fire, almost dying and, you know, just a whole bunch of stuff happened. He was invited along to a youth group, heard the gospel, eventually gave his life to Christ, became a Christian. So, he became a Christian but was from a very non-religious background. As for me though, let's replace Taylor Ford with a very young-looking me. I know. I almost didn't want to put that down because I just had this strange feeling that Mikey was going to take that and just use it against me. You know that sort of stuff that happens from time to time? Not that Mikey would do that, of course. But yeah, I was raised in a Catholic household. That's actually the day of my, well, was it the day of my First Communion? I don't know, they took photos anyway, and you had to dress up in your Sunday best, and there's the Statue of Mary behind me, and here I am with my little First Communion badge, which I did have up until a couple of years ago when I decided to throw out some stuff uh, and my little prayer book and I'm holding my hands like this as if in prayer what a holy child aren't I (laughs) and I tried to tell them before they took the photo look I don't pray like that I pray like grown-ups I have my hands interleaved like that that's how grown-ups pray but anyway long story short in my teenage years I got really bored with going to mass because if any of you were you know some of you are ex-Catholics I know Tim is any other ex-Catholics or Anglicans here this morning you know that Mass is just the same thing over and over again. They change the readings, they change the five-minute sermon that the preachers, you know, the, the priests do, but the rest of it is almost exactly the same, word for word, week in, week out. And you know exactly, like this is the crazy thing, after a few years of my teenage years not going to church, I became a Christian because uh, a guy who belonged to a Baptist church, he was in the Air Force, he invited me along to his church, heard the Gospel, gave my life to Christ, because I already believed it, I still believed it, I wasn't living it. I was a nasty little. I was in the Air Force cadets, and I was a real Hitler. I was horrible. I was a nasty person to get to know. But you know, anyway. So I get saved, and the only church I'd known was the Catholic Church. So I went back to the Catholic Church, and here I am, a newfound believer, and I'm going back to the Catholic Church. And from my distant past, my memory, I knew at different times of the Mass exactly when to stand, and sit, and kneel. Except that they changed the rules; you didn't have to kneel anymore. And so there I was, going, "Oh, hang on, they've changed." I don't believe they've actually changed. The most important thing though is whether you come from a non-religious background like Taylor or a religious background like me, the most important thing is actually finding Jesus, that is the thing and so that's the thing, there might have been actually a separation between Taylor and me beforehand, I'm very religious, he wasn't but now because of our combined faith in Jesus, there is a unity there. There is a danger, though. Once you give your life to Christ, once you become a Christian, the danger is that there can be things that distract you. Now, obviously, there's, you know, in other countries in particular, there's a lot of persecution going on. You, In fact, in India, if you get baptised as a Christian, that's when it really starts. You can end up losing your life, all right? Thankfully, it doesn't happen in Australia. But we still have certain dangers here, and they're more from a theological perspective, and your theology will change your life. So the diff, the the danger here is once you find Jesus that things can distract you. So the first one and this is what we find in the book of Galatians is that Jesus somehow isn't sufficient. That you need Jesus and dot 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 fill in the gap. So for instance for the Galatians the problem for them the, the in the letter of Galatians it was you need you need circumcision. Yeah, you got Jesus, that's great, but you need to follow the Jewish rules of circumcision as well. Otherwise, sorry, you're not saved. The, um, I've heard a few other ones like this, for instance, um, going back a few decades. You need Jesus, yes, but then you need to be baptised into our denomination, into our part of Christianity, otherwise you're not really part of the church. The church, our church, the only true one. That's just not true. Another one that I've heard, and you may actually have people knocking on your door on Saturday morning sometimes, going around in twos, Uh, people come along and, you know, for for their version of Christianity, so-called, it's Jesus and you need to witness in a certain way, on a regular basis, with their particular translation and their particular newspaper that they get from the United States. There's another one that, actually, some people in my old church used to belong to this particular type of Christianity, where you need Jesus and you need to speak in tongues. And, uh, I won't tell you the name of the particular movement, doesn't really matter. Uh, but you can see, you can almost see their theology, they almost have a point, but with all bad theology, it starts off good and then has a twist. It's like 95% correct and then 5% bleh, and that's where the vomit comes out. And it's like, you know, w- would you eat a lovely lasagna or a, a spaghetti bolognese, take, take it to the standard, would you eat some of that with vomit on it? It's only 5%. I mean you could actually simulate that by putting parmesan cheese on but you know. (laughs) Okay, let's bring it back now, I've been disgusting enough, Alex is going to disown me any second now. (laughs) But the thing is, with speaking in tongues, the theology started off right. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you and as soon as He was glorified, the Holy Spirit had come. You look at the book of Acts and three times out of the five, where it specifically mentions being filled with the Spirit, it mentions speaking in tongues as the initial evidence. So you can see their theology says, ah, so if you're saved, then you will be filled with the Spirit. The initial evidence is being uh, being f- f- filled with the Spirit, is speaking in tongues, therefore if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Spirit, therefore you're not saved. So you have to speak in tongues to be saved. Wrong! <laughs> can you see where the twist happens? Uh, you, maybe you can't with that particular example. I'll show you another one in a minute where the, the Colossians were getting into trouble. Hopefully it's a bit more evident in the next one. But the next... So that's Jesus and, no, you just need Jesus, that's what the Reformation was all about, that they had these five solar, solar meaning only, it was only by the grace of God, only by faith, only through Jesus, only for the glory of God, only the Word of God, that's all you needed, but only Jesus, the only one that you can get you saved. The other difficulty though, the other challenge, the other danger, Jesus, yes you got Jesus but now there's a whole massive list of things you must or must not do in order to either maintain your salvation or to actually prove that you are saved. And if you don't do these things, or if you do do them, well, you're obviously not saved. So, my version of that would be, okay, you're saved. Do you vote green? If you do, are you really saved? But I know a green voter who's a very dedicated Christian, she's actually a chaplain in school, and she would think the same about somebody who voted liberal. How could anybody be a practicing Christian and vote liberal? Does that really have anything to do with the fact whether you're saved or not? Probably not. In fact, I'd say definitely not. So then you get to Colossians and if if we look at this first one, if you've got your Bibles with you, if not, we've got it up on the screen here. Reading from Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 through to 23 and we'll just, in in the words of, of Sharon and Jono and Tim, this is the speak, we'll unpack this, this morning. Doesn't it feel cool? I'll just unpack Scripture for you. So, here we go and here is the the initial part of the problem in Colossae and this is what Paul is addressing. He says here, so don't let anyone condemn you for what, what you eat or drink. So obviously there's some condemnation happening from these false teachers that have entered in to the Colossian congregation. For what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. These rules are only shadows of the reality to come, Christ Himself is that reality. You see, so there's two different things that they were condemning them for: the things that they ate or drank, and whether the, whether they did or did not follow certain, you know, holy days, new moon ceremonies. So, so basically, the holy days were sort of like those three annual celebrations the Jews had to celebrate throughout the year. New moon, that's once a month. Sabbath days, once a week. So all of those regular religious things that they had to do what they didn't recognise was when you look at the law, there's actually, I mean, there's different ways of defining the law, some people say there's seven different types of law, some people say five, me, I like to keep it simple, three. The first type of law that you see in the Old Testament is the moral law and some of that is in the, in the, um, the Ten Commandments, for instance, don't murder. Well, that's a thing that we would still want to not do today, right? Don't murder, everyone agree? You know, it's not the best thing to do. Uh, so, don't murder, don't steal, you know, being an honest person, uh, not bearing false witness, so you don't go to court and lie so that the innocent are condemned and the guilty are, are set free, that's not the sort, so that sort of stuff is actually reiterated in the New Testament and you can read so many of those things still in the New Testament today, so that's the sort of stuff we still do, don't go around killing people. The next one is the civil law, which is basically how you get along in society, so we've got our version of that, it's called the Australian law and basically you want people to obey the law, So, you know, don't speed, don't steal, don't commit fraud, don't murder. A lot of those things are actually still very moral things. But the civil law is basically what you need to do to get along in society. So, that part of the Old Testament wouldn't be current for us now because we're living in a different society with different civil rules. So, for instance, we don't go out, let's say one of my kids is very rebellious towards me. I can't imagine that ever happening, but just imagine... I promised Sarah that I wouldn't embarrass her today but <laughs> the kids didn't <laughs> but just imagine in the Old Testament if you were totally rebellious and you got drunk and your and parents didn't have any control over you whatever they could report you to the elders and you could be stoned to death killed for that now that's part of their civil law not part of ours <clears throat> So it's not something we do but then the last one the ceremonial law that has to do with all of the stuff that happened in the temple all the sacrifices and you know if you if you sacrifice a bull then you need this this much wheat and this much wine and this much fine flour to go with it and then the priest has that part you have that part the rest of it's burned oh but if you sacrifice a goat then it's different you have you know all of that stuff is the ceremonial law it was basically the way to make yourself pure so you could worship god that is the one that has been completely wiped out, that was the shadow of things to come, that's the thing, I mean Jesus fulfilled every part of the law, but that in particular is the thing that, nah, no more, we don't need to do that anymore, but that was the sort of stuff that the Colossian people, the people in the Colossian church, they were being condemned for not following that sort of stuff, you see what it is? It's all about the new moons and the Sabbaths and the holy days and what you eat and drink. Right now, if you eat pork, you're not condemned. Jewish people and Um, islamic people as well they don't eat pork even now because they follow their own rules for us you know what jesus said he said no it's what you what comes from within that's the thing that corrupts you it's not what you put into your body that corrupts you because it's just expelled out the other end you eat you know you go to the toilet and it's gone it's the the murder and the lust and the anger and the all the other stuff that comes from within that's the stuff that corrupts you and in the gospels it actually says by saying this jesus declared all foods clean so, you don't need to have any problems about eating pork or eating the different types of birds or fish without scales or eels, you, you can eat that stuff if you want to, if, it's, if that's your thing, there's not a problem there and you, you, you shouldn't let anybody condemn you over that sort of thing, because that's not important, Jesus is the fulfilment of all of that. So, you read the next one, verse 18... Here's more condemnation, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they've had visions about these things, their sinful minds have made them proud, they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, He holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. Now, let's do an experiment in bad theology, all right? Take a journey with me into the realms of bad theology, And I want you to find the two or three spots where my theology gets twisted in this little saying, All right, And I'll tell you when I end so you can believe me again, okay? So, God is holy. In fact, God is so holy that even a prophet like Isaiah, when he had a vision of God in in the realm, you know, the, the realm of the holies and there's all these angels singing, holy, holy, holy and the train of his robe fills the temple and it's filled with the smoke of the glory of God and Isaiah you know, basically gets down on his knees and says, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips, I'm, I'm gone, I'm wasted, I'm dead, I'm, I'm... and so, you know, in this vision, he has a vision of God's holiness and God has to do something very special in order for him to be a prophet. So, we agree that God's holy and we also agree that we are not, whether it's unclean lips, unclean minds, thoughts, actions, we know that we're not holy. So, can unholiness actually live in the presence of God? No. So, what that means, at times, God actually sends His angels, you know another word for angel is is messenger and you know when uh, Jesus, His birth was about to be announced to the Virgin Mary, it was by an angel, Gabriel. John the Baptist, when His birth was about to be announced, again, angel Gabriel mentioned it to John the Baptist's future dad, Zechariah. All right, so angels and medias, they give messages from God But angels can actually exist on this planet and in heaven itself. They're not as holy as God, but they're certainly not sinful like us. So they are fantastic mediators between God and us. They give messages to us. So, therefore, it follows if we want to communicate with God, we should actually communicate through the angels as well because they're sort of like the go betweens. I can see a couple of people shaking their heads now, which is good. So if they're go-betweens, you know how Jesus said that if you honour me, you honour the Father, if you worship me, you worship the Father. So that means that because angels can be mediators as well, if we actually glorify angels as messengers from God, we're in essence glorifying God. So if we worship them, it's basically like worshipping God as well. There should be a few more heads shaking right there. Thank you. All right, so in that, hopefully what I say from now on is going to be right. Can you see there's a few errors in there? Do angels give messages? Occasionally. Most of the time we receive messages from God just by reading His Word, that's why He's given it to us. Is God holy? Yes. Are we unholy? Yes. Do we have to go through somebody else other than Jesus? Absolutely not. Jesus took the penalty and now because of what He has done, we stand as righteous as He Himself is you know, you look at the New Testament, specifically Romans, where it says, He imputed His righteousness to us, He credited righteousness to our account. So now, as far as God's concerned, we are clear as the driven snow, we are as clean and white as the purest diamond that you could ever imagine. We don't need an intermediary, we've already got one and His name's Jesus, right? That is the Bible truth. But can you see how you can just twist it? There's, yeah, God's holy, we are unholy, angels do give messengers, yes... But then there's a twist. And that's what was happening with these guys as well. They actually started getting into not just the pious self denial, but the worship of angels. And as a result, they separated themselves from Jesus. Unnecessary, unhelpful, actually unholy. So this heresy is usually 95% truth and 5% error. And it's the error that gets you really into trouble. So if you look at verse 20, it continues on, it says you have died with Christ. You know, through baptism we're considered dead in Christ and we rise again once we come out of the waters. He has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So, why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. Um, When Sarah and I were first going out, um, she was a Bible college student and there was one particular class that she went to called Practical Christian Living. And it was taught by a fantastic man of God, Pastor Paul. He was a brilliant guy, very sharp mind. Um, you know, just a genuine, really, you know, top bloke. But when Sarah used to come, you know, when we used to get together, because we obviously weren't living together at the time. Surprise, surprise, we weren't married. Uh, but when we'd get together and she'd tell me what she'd learned in Practical Christian Living. And I used to call it Impractical Christian Living because so much of it was just aren't you supposed to live, you know? But over the, over the decades, over the centuries, there have been certain things that you have been told that you're not allowed to do. For, I'll give you some examples. The obvious ones, don't drink, don't smoke, don't swear. I mean, even non-Christian people would say, yeah, they're reasonably good, you know, you're obviously a decent person if you don't do any of those. Uh, I'm out by one of those, never mind. But at least my kids have never heard me do it. Um, There's some Baptist people that I knew who were part of my old church. They said in the Baptist church you weren't allowed to dance because it led to, mm, you know, something else. You got too physically close and it would lead to temptation. Um, A little bit earlier than that, in the Pentecostal movement in the 1930s, you weren't allowed to go to the cinema at all. And you think how innocent the cinema was back in those days compared to what we've got now. Uh, But no, you're obviously not a Christian if you go to the cinema. Going back a couple of hundred years ago, you'd get chucked out of your Methodist church if you dared to play cards. So there's, there's, I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, I got told off once uh, by a youth pastor in the early 90s, late 80s, whenever it was, for using the word lucky. Ooh, you know where the word lucky comes from? It actually comes from the word Lucifer. Oh, don't use that word. No, you just say, blessed brother, just say, okay, so I can't use the word lucky because you look at Ecclesiastes and it says time and chance, I mean that sounds like luck to me, time and chance happen to us all. Anyway, we'll leave that with you. You can't read Harry Potter because obviously that's got witchcraft in it, so I'm gone on that one. You can't watch The Simpsons because it's such a bad role model of fathering, I'm gone on that one. Here's one I heard in the 80s, one of the girls that was in um, our youth group, her mum, she seriously believed this, you're not allowed to speed in your car. Not because it's dangerous, not because it's against the law, but because as soon as you start speeding, the angels jump off your bonnet and you're no longer protected. <sighs> okay. Anti vomit bags are placed on the exits. Just, you know, I mean, it's horrible, isn't it? You know, and I actually asked her, where do you get, what scripture do you point to to get that? Oh, no, it's true. It's true. <sighs> really? Um, oh, here's one as well. If you read the NIV, you'll be demon possessed. The New International... I know! We actually had people leave my old church because they believed that the King James was the... Uh, was the authorised version. They thought authorised by God. It was actually authorised, it's called authorised because it was authorised by King James of England, who himself was not a particularly godly man. Now, and then they said, oh, you can't read the NIV because there's verses missing. You compare it to the King James and there's verses missing. Ooh! Because the King James, when that was translated, that, they only had a certain number of, of texts... The Greek texts that were found at that stage and they did a great job, It was, in its day it was a great translation but since that time they've found, in fact for the New Testament there's something like 5,500 texts, original Greek texts or copies of, obviously Paul didn't write 5,500 copies of his letter to the Colossians but you know the copies of and they predate by, by sometimes centuries the ones that the King James was based on. The NIV is actually more accurate than the King James and I don't have to read thou, thy, thee and this and all that. I hate that stuff, you know. I, I, oh, Cameron, you might like it but I, I hate it when when people come along and say, oh yeah okay, we're going to pray now, oh thou lordest. You don't talk like that, so why do you have to talk like that to God? There's a special religious language about it, so you can see how anti-religious I am in that respect. But I oh, don't read novels because they're a waste of time and Scripture actually says that you should redeem the time because the days are evil. Uh, don't listen to rock, obviously it's of the devil. Uh, When it comes to classical music, don't listen to Tchaikovsky because he was gay. Uh, Whatever you do, don't have drums and guitars in church and actually here's one that was more recent, just a couple of weeks ago, one of the guys from my work, he's got a uh, a mate of his who belongs to a certain church, I don't know which one it is but it's in Launceston somewhere and their theology is that you're not allowed to have music at all because In Ephesians, it says, you know, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other, but it never mentions music. It just mentions singing. And I think, have you ever read psalms? I mean, you look at uh, yeah, it's Old Testament rather than New, but this was the only scripture the early church had, and the book of Psalms has actually been like the hymn book of the church for two thousand years. So in Psalm 150, as well, have a listen and think if this might be relevant to some of the instruments that we got up here. Um, Praise him in His sanctuary, praise Him in his, in his mighty heavens, praise Him with the sounding trumpet, no, missed out on that one, praise Him with harp and lyre, stringed instruments, yeah, yep, uh, praise Him with tambourine and dancing, well not da- did I, I didn't see anyone dance today, never mind, um, that leads to sex anyway so don't do it, um, praise Him with strings and flute, uh, praise Him with uh, a clash of cymbals and with resounding cymbals, does that sound a little bit like they had music in Jewish worship? there is nothing in the New Testament to prevent us from using musical instruments to worship God and yet they've made that a rule. So, even today we're making up our own rules at times but they're man-made rules or women-made rules and it doesn't work and it's not helpful and it doesn't actually help us overcome our sinful nature anyway. So, in fact, I would suggest that a lot of these things, you've just got to read the Bible for yourself and figure out, is this a man-made rule or is this a personal conviction that they've got that they're now transferring over to everyone? You see, I might have certain personal convictions which are for me because I have certain weaknesses, and so do you. There was a guy I knew years ago who he wouldn't listen to rock and roll music, but it was because he'd come out of the rock and roll scene and it had damaged him. So for him, it was the wrong thing to do. It's like you don't, if you're an alcoholic, you don't go and get a job in a pub, apart from which the pubs are closed at the moment anyway, but you don't do that because it's going to put. Uh, temptation in your way you have a weakness in that area for me I wouldn't have a problem with that because in my life I've had five alcoholic drinks and they've all stunk and I've hated each one of them and so I've never been tempted in that area I've got an addictive personality chocolate is a weakness and it's going to kill me if I if I kept on eating the same as I was three years ago I'd be dead by now you know I really would so we're all weak in different areas but what God says to us about that particular area of our weakness in our life is not a rule for everyone else and sometimes, and that's where the error comes in, when you try and make it a rule for everyone across the, the room, if that's a problem. Does reading Harry Potter affect me badly? No because it's an, I know it's a novel and I read the Bible more. I've read the Bible 34 or, or so times all the way through, it's just been my habit every year pretty much since I've been a Christian. I've read that more than the Harry Potter books, all right? But I don't say that to boast, I say that to say, this is the thing that guides my life, not a novel. But for other people who, maybe people who actually came out as some sort of witchcraft or coven or something like that, maybe for them it would be the wrong thing. And for them, if, if your conscience is saying, don't do something, then for you it's a sin. But for somebody else it may not be. You know, we've got to be, care- we've got to be a bit more nuanced, rather than just having a cookie-cutter version of Christianity. Um, so, this next verse, verse 23... These rules, these man-made rules that people make up, these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Um, there was, uh, do you remember the, the, the movie, if you've seen it, if you're ungodly enough to have seen it, um, like I am, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, any show of hands? Okay, there's a lot of people that haven't seen that, God bless you, you're much holier than I am. I just, I won't show it because it would offend you but, or may do, but I just want to describe a certain scene there, you know, it, the, the, it's in the Middle Ages, King Arthur and his knights at the round table and so on and there's one particular scene where there's this group of monks, you know, seven, eight, nine monks or so, they're walking through this village and as they're walking in step, they've got blocks of wood, like just planks of wood and you remember the scene there, Tim, and they're, they're singing this chant and as they're going along, they're singing this chant in Latin, you know, uh, Pardon me for my Latin pronunciation, it's bad. Piee su domine. All together. Donae requiem. As they walk along and chant this, they actually beat themselves over the head with these blocks of wood. And that was funny because it's such a ridiculous thing to do, but the really sad thing is that's the sort of stuff that people used to do in church hundreds of years ago. And in fact, they're even doing it today in certain parts of the world. They called called it self-flagellation. You can see there's just this diagram up here where they're stripped to the waist, they've got these whips and they're beating themselves over the back with it and it's not just the Christian religion that used to do that, you know, various other religions around the world have people that do that too. And every Easter, when COVID's not happening, there's a group of Churches over in the Philippines, in particular, that will crucify their young men. They volunteer for it, but they will actually stick them to the cross and and put actual nails, just small ones, not like the fat Roman ones, and and they'll actually have their their legs properly supported so they can breathe properly, but they'll actually put these nails through their hands. I think that's very religious, but for some strange reason, I don't think taking up your cross daily is exactly what that means. I, I don't know, I just get this funny feeling. Uh, if it is like that, then I think I need to just stop following Christ in that little bit. But there's, I was reading that, it actually is based on First Corinthians 9, where Paul said, I beat my body and, you know, make it my slave, lest, having preached to others, I myself might be disqualified for the prize. But he's not actually talking about beating yourself up, literally, it's a figurative thing. Just like Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And I see everyone here today has their eyes... You guys should definitely have at least one eye missing. I know I should, probably both. If your hand causes you to sin, or if your feet cause you to chop it off, better it'll end to it ends with. Jesus was talking hyperbolically. He was saying sin is so serious that this is the sort of stuff that you'd need to do to get rid of it. All right. So I like what one commentator said. He said this: this whole you know self-flagellation thing. It was not by absurd and harmful self-torture, but by noble labor and self-denial for the good of others. You know there's a difference, you know when Jesus said, um, greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for his friends? There's a big difference between laying down your life for your friends and committing suicide. Committing suicide, you just feel sad, you kill yourself and everyone else around you mourns. Whereas giving your life, it's like people in war, you know, I I, I was reading a story recently about some uh, bomber pilots in World War II and and the aeroplane's meant, sorry, there had to be an aeroplane story in here somewhere. They're holding the aircraft straight, they've been shot up by the wicked Germans and and, and they're holding this aircraft straight as best they can, it's taking all their strength uh, until the rest of the crew is able to bail out safely but the pilot knows as soon as he lets go of those controls to try and get out, he's a goner because the aeroplane's going to go into a spiral dive and away he goes. He knows that he's going to have to just ride the thing down, crash and most likely die but he does that in order to save his mates down the back, right? That's laying down your life for your friends. Very different from getting into an aeroplane, having a joyride and thinking, now, what building in Launceston do I want to take out? Hmm, Meyer is a pretty big target. Boom, away we go. And I prefer Kmart anyway. Boom. Very big difference between those two. So that's the whole self flagellation thing. No, that is not what Paul was talking about. Now, the question is, when you're talking about finding freedom from rules and religion just the last little point I want to make here, does that mean that you can't have any rules or any religion in your life? And the answer to that, you can tell, I'm going to say is no. Is there, for instance, a place for obedience? Thanks, Georgia. Is there a place for obedience? Yes. In John chapter 14, I was looking at it this morning, there's actually three times in this little passage where Jesus says, the necessity of obedience... I mean, even the Great Commission says, teaching them to obey all things that I commanded you. Is there a place for obedience in the Christian life? Absolutely. But it's obedience to the Word of God, not just to these man-made rules. Is there a place for religion as such? Now, religion has a bad name. We think of it, most of the time, as people who are very narrow-minded, without love. I mean, I think of religion, I, I was religious as a teenager, as a late teenager, even, if, even as I wasn't going to church... But was I putting it into practice? Was I nice? Was I showing any of the fruit of the spirit? Nah, nah, nah. Just tell them to stand to attention in the air force cadets and beat them up, not literally. Is there a place for religion? Yes, if you change the definition of the word. And you look at James chapter one verse twenty-seven. That says, uh, "Pure or religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this: to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep yourself unspotted by the world." it's taking care of others and making sure you have a clean life, that is real godly religion that God likes, tick, VG, well done. Is there a place for religion? Yes, as long as you change the definition to taking care of people and living a holy life. Is there a place for actually saying no to yourself? Yes, there is again, I wouldn't have put it up there if there wasn't, First Corinthians 6 verse 12. The Corinthians had another problem, I mean they had so many problems in Corinth but just like the Galatians had the problem of these circumcision group and the Colossians had a problem with these people condemning them for not operating in certain religious things, the Corinthians had multiple problems, <laughs> one of which was that they would operate under certain oh, sayings, they said, oh you know, we're free in Christ, beautifully, beautiful, that means everything is permissible for me. In fact, a few decades ago, there was a a very good Christian man who said, love God and do what you like. And what he meant was, if you love God, then the desires of your heart are going to change so that you only want what He wants and then you can do whatever you want because it's what He wants anyway. He wasn't just saying, ah, you want to go off and splurge all your money on booze? Go right ahead. You want to kill yourself with drugs? Go right ahead. Everything's permissible. Just do it. You know, that sort of stuff. No, that was what the Corinthians thought... And so, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 6, he's actually quoting what they're saying, and saying, not quite, guys. And so, in 1 Corinthians 6:12, he actually says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is helpful or beneficial. He says it a second time, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And that's the difference. The Corinthians were going to do a whole bunch of stuff that was going to get them into strife. They were going to get addicted to it. And it wasn't actually helpful for their spiritual walk. That's the sort of thing, that's the sort of rule that we need to make for ourselves, stuff that we shouldn't do because we have a weakness in that area. Finally, and here's perhaps the biggest one, is there a place for spiritual disciplines or does it just degenerate into religious, um, I don't know, religious practices? And the big difference is, does something get you closer to God or does it replace the grace of God in your life? I think that's the big difference. So, spiritual disciplines, I haven't put one scripture down and I've just put the epistles down because when you read the New Testament epistles, all the way from Romans through to Hebrews, all the way through to Jude, there is so much stuff there that you, you can put into practice and so much stuff that you're actually supposed to obey. There is a place for obedience when it's the Word of God. So read the epistles and you'll see so many things, even next week, I think Tim you're preaching next week, is it? Um, The next section in Colossians that Tim's going to cover actually has a whole bunch of stuff that you can avoid. So the very thing that Paul said here, oh these people come along and tell you what you can do and can't do, well that's what Tim's actually going to do next week but it's going to be stuff that's actually biblical, all right? And that's the difference, it's not just a man-made rule, it's a biblical principle. So is there room for things like fasting, praise and worship, prayer, good works... Is there room for that? Absolutely. But there's a difference. I'm going to encourage you as a part-time, very part-time preacher of the Word, to worship God. But I'm not going to command you to listen to or not listen to a certain type of music. Having said that, rock and roll is obviously the favoured, preferred, you know, God preference. But it's up to you. You don't like rock and roll, you prefer country and the other thing. I can't... Can't mention it, but you—you you like. I remember talking once with Willie. Willie really likes uh, opera. It turns me off. I can't stand the way that they scream. So you know, but Willie likes opera. It, you know, some people like the old-fashioned stuff. You know, the old-fashioned 1950s-style music that you know was done in the church. For me, the thing that really gets me going, apart from rock and roll, is the songs that I sang when I first got saved. You know, and they are such daggy, boring choruses. Musically, they are pathetic. They're repetitive. But it just takes me back to that first love that I had for Jesus when I first got saved, you know. So, I'm going to say, please, yes, worship God. It's a command of the Bible to worship God. Style of music, totally up to you. I'm going to say, please pray, absolutely, it's a command of God, communicate with God but unlike a youth leader I had years ago, I'm not going to demand that you pray three hours a day. I can't do that. I'm going to say, it is the biblical mandate to get the Word of God into you. But I'm not going to demand that you use a certain translation or don't use another one. I'm not even going to say, like I, I love the way that Tim and Sharon speak about soaping. Get the scripture, observe what's happening, apply it to your life and pray about it. That is a great way and they've actually got these, um, like a schedule of how to get through the Bible in, in a year. I spoke to Tim about five years ago and I said, Tim, I need your permission. <laughs> I need your permission to come up with my own way of reading the Bible because I've been doing this for many years and I've actually got this thing in the front of my Bible that actually has my own schedule of what I read because I've discovered over the years that if I just read the Old Testament I start feeling dry and if I just read the New Testament I feel like I'm missing out but if I read one psalm and two chapters of the Old Testament and one chapter of the New it feels very disjointed to me I feel like I'm being drip fed so what I do and this is just me what I do is, I'll read the book of Genesis first, and then after that I go to Matthew, and then I'll go to Exodus and Leviticus, and then I'll go to Mark, so I flip-flop, that's what I'm doing this year. And occasionally I'll change the translation, this year it's the NIV, next year it'll probably go back to the New Living Translation or something else. I might even risk it and go back to the New King James Version, I don't know. But whatever keeps it fresh, because we're reading so much. But I'm not going to mandate how you do that. And I, I, as much as Tim and Sharon encourage you to soap, because it's a good way of regularly getting in there, I don't think they, if you had another way of getting into the Bible and read it through from cover to cover in a year and you actually were engaging with it and getting into you, I don't think Tim and Sharon would have a real problem with that. Because No, excellent, you're very flexible people. Because <laughs> it's not important how you do it, it's just important that you do it. And maybe you're a really bad reader, but you can listen to stuff and remember it. Well, get yourself, it on, you know, on, I'll be old-fashioned and say, CD, get a tape recording, get a gramophone record of the Scripture, but whatever works for you, just do it, get the Word in. Anything else is the rules and regulations from man-made things. No, no, don't want to do that. But all of these other things are good things to do. So, just before I hand over to Jono for some announcements, with a uh, a clean microphone, let's just close in a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we thank You for Your Word, we thank you that your word is life, your word is truth. And even though some people might decide to twist it, we can see where the error comes in. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't want to be people who are filled with man made religious regulations that achieve nothing. On the other hand, we don't want to be like the Corinthians who had no rules and were living horrible lives that didn't honour you. God, we want to have that balance. We want to be mature people. We want to be mature Christians following in the life of Jesus because that not only will bear fruit in our lives and others' lives, but ultimately it glorifies you, and that's what we're all about. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and I pray that everyone here would have a blessed week as they seek to follow you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Johnny, come on up.